Hebrews chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 11 and read through the end of the chapter. So if the priesthood of Levi, on which the law was based, could have achieved the perfection God intended, why did God need to establish a different priesthood with a priest in the order of Melchizedek instead of the order of Levi and Aaron? And if the priesthood is changed, the law must also be changed to permit it. For the priest we are talking about belongs to a different tribe whose members have never served at the altar as priests. What I mean is our Lord came from the tribe of Judah and Moses never mentioned priests coming from that tribe. This change has been made very clear since the different priest who is like Melchizedek has appeared. Jesus became a priest not by meeting the physical requirement of belonging to the tribe of Levi, but by the power of a life that cannot be destroyed. And the psalmist pointed this out when he prophesied, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Yes, the old requirement about the priesthood was set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law never made anything perfect. But now we have confidence in a better hope, through which we draw near to God. This new system was established with a solemn oath. Aaron's descendants became priests without such an oath. But there was an oath regarding Jesus, for God said to him, The Lord has taken an oath and will not break his vow. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus is the one who guarantees this better covenant with God. There were many priests under the old system, for death prevented them from remaining in office. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. He is the kind of high priest we need because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He has been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. Unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once for all when he offered himself as the sacrifice for the people's sins. The law appointed high priests who were limited by human weakness, but after the law was given, God appointed his son with an oath, and his son has been made the perfect high priest forever. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you again. We thank you for your word. But mostly, Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his coming and dying on the cross, for his interceding on our behalf as our high priest. Lord, we thank you for your word that explains this to us. And Lord, as Pastor Doug comes, we ask that you give him strength in his voice and strength in his heart to be able to uh, offer to us what you have put there. Lord, what you have been speaking to him throughout this last week and month and year about what to bring to us from the book of Hebrews, Lord. Lord, we ask that we would be attentive to the Holy Spirit this morning and we may hear from you. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There is still room for individuals who wish to be a part of the CPR class held this coming Saturday. The class begins at 9, and it will go until 11. We have room for three more. Presently, we have nine signed up, 
and we can take 12. At least that's what our instructor desires to have, just 12. So if you'd like to be a part of that, uh, either drop me a note, email, or talk to me or whatever, and we'll make sure you get on that list. There is no cost for you to take that course. And uh, if you'd like to be a part of that, please let me know. Well, here we are again in this glorious chapter of Hebrews chapter 7. And as we left it last week in verse 11, we find that there's a question that is posed there. And the question quite simply says, why do we need another high priest? For what good reason should there be to have another, a different kind, if you will, of high priest? As you remember last week, we introduced to you that Jesus Christ is not from the tribe of Levi. He's not part of the Levitical priesthood, but he is forever after the order of Melchizedek. And we trace that in Genesis chapter 15 as we viewed that and we came to realize that Jesus' uh, enablement, if you will, of being a priest after the order of Melchizedek is not based on genealogy, it's based on his character and for his determination by God. Now, the question, though, needs to be answered. For what good reason do we need another, a different high priest? The question in of itself, if you would label it so, is the $64,000 question. And in fact, it's throughout the whole book of, of Hebrews. It's the determining factor of the book of Hebrews. The great issue that's being addressed in this particular treatise and throughout the book is how does an individual draw near to God? That's what verse 19 refers to us, that, that because of the Lord Jesus Christ, we may now draw near to God. How does one do that? And particularly, which is kind of interesting, is that this phrase, draw near to God, or drawing near to God, has multiple meanings, multiple usages in the book of Hebrews. Without getting into depth of what they all mean, let me just highlight some of those for you. It, it talks about drawing near to God. You'll find that it's clearly used for trusting in Christ for salvation. It's also receiving the forgiveness of our sins, continuing, if you will, to trust in Christ's priesthood, persevering in faith despite difficulties, boldly coming to God in time of need, asking God for his help, being faithful to God, and keeping on doing the will of God. All of those meanings, all of those phrases, are dimensions, if you will, of the Christian experience that's caught up in that phrase. What makes it even more interesting is that it is clearly a vital an essential praise or phrase. If all of this is contained in it, then it may be imperative for us as readers, even in our day, 
to, if you will, understand how it would be possible to draw near to God. Now, the reason that it's so central to the book of Hebrews is that because the whole function of the priesthood was to bring men and women to God. But in that, if we will, we find that as the particular passage says for us this morning, that this was no flash in the pan, if you will, transaction. Because it was to have one's life completely taken over by the power of God. Drawing near to God also gives us that we are indwelt by the Spirit of God and live in service of God. That, are, that is the essentials of what we call our Christian life. And so this is something that was marked simply, it wasn't something marked simply in a moment of time, but it was to be evidenced by a life of steady growth. And in order for that to be the case, certain things had to happen. Guilt had to be atoned for. The conscience of man had to be settled. And the heart of man had to be purified. And all those things were involved in setting the unbeliever at peace with a loving and eternal God. Now, the very fact that the Levitical priesthood is inadequate in achieving this made abundantly clear, if you will, in verse 11 that Pastor Steve read for us is the fact that it says, in, in one, it says in verse 11, in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. Because what was there was as far as verse 18 is concerned, was weak and useless what we need to we need to dive into this a little bit more but i invite you to turn just a couple pages over to chapter 10 verses 1 through 3 and there you're going to find the reason why one of the reasons why the levitical priesthood could not faithfully eternally draw men to god Verses 1 through 3. Since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the reality of itself of those things, it can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. Otherwise, wouldn't they have stopped being offered since the worshipers purified once and for all, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in the sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year after year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Every sacrifice that would have been brought to the priestly tribe to offer on behalf of the individuals could never squelch the conscience. There was always 
the understanding that sin was ever present and never really fully atoned for. Covered, yes. But what never was released was the consciousness of man. They felt guilty for their sins because what they experienced in the structure of the Levitical priesthood was only that people were never experienced the freedom from guilt. They were coming back again and again to satisfy the prescribed method for a covering of their sin. A covering, yes, but never a freedom from conscience. Always was there. Now, with that being said, let's go back to chapter 7. The writer makes the point that these means and laws to which he was referring served as a temporary purpose. And when the time came, they had to be changed for something that would be permanent, complete, and eternal. Because what was represented in this structure was not permanent. It was incomplete. And it was valid only in time. And so he says, it's very important for you to understand that he, the one who was to come in the order of Melchizedek, did not descend from the tribe of Levi. He belonged to a different tribe. And we know, according to the Old Testament, that Jesus Christ came from the tribe of Judah. And Moses mentioned nothing about an individual from that tribe who was worthy to offer sacrifice. And so with that, now again, since Jesus had no right to minister, if you will, at, if you will, the material altar, the problem arises. Why did these individuals in the book of Hebrews want to go back to the old way? Why did they want to continue to regress instead of progress? And so we're faced this morning with trying to come to some kind of understanding of how great Jesus really is. This morning, that which is before us, or that which had been, been before, was obsolete. And that which had now come in the person of Christ was significant. Notice, if you will, in verse 17, it says, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. The law made nothing perfect. 
It couldn't make the priest perfect. It couldn't provide a perfect settlement for sin. It couldn't afford men and women's hearts at a perfect peace. It couldn't grant to them a perfect conscience. But if it had been able to accomplish all of that, then it would have been permanent. And according to our text, it was passing away. The thoughtful question could be asked, well then, why did it even exist? Why was the law given? Well, we could spend a whole lot of time answering that question, but in essence, the answer is this, because it was the foreshadow, the grace which was revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that according to all the benefits that it conveyed in that system was, were on the basis of Christ's yet coming sacrifice. Old Testament saints, New Testament saints are saved the exact same way. By grace through faith. Old Testament saints looked forward to the perfect high priest that was yet to come. New Testament saints, we look back as our Lord Jesus Christ gave of his life upon the cross and wonderfully fulfilled the requirements for our great high priest. I think one of the greatest illustrations of that is mentioned more often during the time of Easter, and we're not too far removed from that season. But let me just draw you back a little bit in your biblical memory that not everybody was at the cross at the time of Jesus' crucifixion. Oh, there were women there, and there were the naysayers that came by and kept taunting him to come down from the cross and we'll believe you. But what was happening in the center of Jerusalem, there was still the temple. And there were places in that temple that were highlighted for certain things to happen and for certain people to be there. For instance, there was the court of the Gentiles. There was the court, if you will, of the Jews. And the place of the priests. And then finally, in the Holy of Holies. And that section was quarantined off by this massive curtain. And that massive curtain, in all reality, said, You cannot draw near to God. You must have someone go in for you in order to accomplish what you desire. And that individual, before he even went into that place, had to make sure he was in perfect standing with the law. But on that grateful day, God gave a sign that all of that changed. Because that massive curtain was torn from top 
to bottom. In other words, God instituted it. And in opening of that way to the Holy of Holies, it's like God saying, step this way. Because our high priest has made it available. What the Levitical priesthood could not do, Jesus fulfilled it to the nth degree. Holy, blameless, set apart from sinners. Not that he didn't spend time with sinners. Aren't you glad Jesus spends time with sinners? Oh, I don't know about that. You're, you're grumbling, and I don't know if that's your stomach ready for the pot roast or what. Aren't you glad Jesus spent time with sinners? Because that's you and that's me. But he wasn't affected by their sin. He affected them for righteousness. And that is what draws us near to God. The finished work of Jesus Christ. In the time that we have, we need to point together. Now we're in verses 20 through 28. The final section, if you will which provides for us a little bit further instruction, but also application. Why is this so important? Why is Jesus Christ so magnificent as he is as our faithful and great high priest? Why is that so important for our faith in him? Well, there are a number of things that we need to point out. And first of all, let me say that the first thing we need to focus on is that in verse 23, that the priesthood of our Lord Jesus is permanent. It's not temporary. Aren't you glad he's the same yesterday, today? And forever. He is not altered by circumstances of life. He is not chained by worry, nor is he declared useless and helpless in our time of need. His priesthood is eternal. And it describes for us, if you will, for the reason for that, because when a high priest who could only serve until he was 50 years old, remember Numbers chapter 8? When he was finished, that was done. But Jesus Christ is not held by time. Aren't you glad that it's described for us better in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Jesus Christ, our high priest, is eternal. His role as our priest will never cease. And that should give us great comfort in these days that we face. He's not left us. He's not thrown us under the bus he forever intercedes for us. 
Well, let's get into the second one. His power is limitless. Verse 25. Let me read that for you. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. His power is limitless. This Lord Jesus, he's able to secure salvation for all who come to him. He's the only source of salvation. False religions, simply, if you will, they, they, they make a choice of other things or other people. And they place their trust in that with even neglecting the Lord Jesus Christ. He is able to save eternally and entirely forever. Let me illustrate it this way for you, if I may. Suppose you had fallen in a cave. And you were at the bottom of the cave, bruised up, probably wounded from your fall. And all you can do, seeing that there's no light and seeing that there's no other way out, you begin to call for help. Well, lo and behold, before you know it, you hear some noise up above the entrance of the cave that you had fallen in. And they're calling for a rope. And as they lower the rope down, all of a sudden, your heart begins to be excited. As you strap it around your waist and you grab onto it and you give two yanks, pull me up, get me out of here. And all of a sudden, they start to pull you up. But then you begin to wonder as the rope is scraping against the limestone. And you're wondering, is this rope going to fray? What happens if we're halfway up and the rope breaks and I plummet back down to the bottom and have no hope again? Isn't it amazing that there are individuals that feel they think that Jesus only saved them, as a Scottish preacher would say, only a wee bit. They feel, or if you will, that they got to try to do something to make sure that this rope doesn't fray. And so individuals are going to try to make contributions to fill up what Jesus was not able to do. Well, that leaves us with a question. How much do you need to do in order to satisfy what the eternal king has already done? And what hope would the, pre, would the thief on the cross with Jesus even have? He didn't get down. He couldn't get down and scurry around trying to do help, help ladies across the street. Stop people from kicking their dogs going to the store, buying something to feed the poor. He couldn't do anything. He only relied on what Jesus Christ said. And dear brothers and sisters, that's what Hebrews 7 is talking about. That the only way of salvation is believe. Believe 
May I say it again? Believe that what Jesus Christ has done as our faithful high priest has met all of the regulations, all of what God demanded for the payment of our sin. It's called propitiation. God is satisfied. It's like the hymn writer once wrote these words. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law demands. Could my zeal no respite know, could my tears forever flow, all for sin could not atone, thou must save. And thou alone. How dynamic. That the writer of Hebrews is encouraging these individuals who were thinking about chucking it all away and going back to the old way. And he's saying to them, wait a minute, stop. Our high priest has accomplished it all. And his name is Jesus. Is he still worth following? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. What use is there of a Christ who cannot save completely and eternally? What use is it? We might as well package it all up and take it to the dumpster. If Christ is not worthy, if he cannot accomplish that which we can't, then what's the use of trusting in him? It's like tearing off the bottom of a response saying, you know, send it back to let us know if you're still on board. What's the use? Well, that leads us to the third Notice, if you will, that he always intercedes. Uh, let me uh, say that to you in a song that we ourselves have even sung here before. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, who ever lives and pleads for me. What a great high priest we have. What a great high priest. And if you let that just be anchored in your heart, my dear people, if you let the Spirit of God burn that into the recesses of your being, it will become, if you will, for you a reality for you to trust and your hope and your confidence and your life will be revolutionized. And the intercession of the Lord Jesus Christ that is exercised meaningfully has already been recorded for us in chapter 4, verse 15, when he's, the writer says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows, he understands, and he's the answer. He's the answer.
Well, that brings us to the close, and all God's people would say. Oh, okay, well, good. I'm glad that was weak. In my study here, I've come to two conclusions. And, and I trust they'll become yours. The first one is this. One must become resolved with the confidence to trust the word of God. No matter what. To trust the word of God. Let me remind you of the words that Jesus said. You might remember this as it's recorded for us in the book of Matthew, I believe it's chapter 7, when he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but not one jot nor tittle of my word will pass away. Do you know why it won't pass away? Because he's the word. He, in the beginning, was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He's not going anywhere. But aren't you glad one day he's coming here? <laughs> one day he's coming here. So we come to the confidence to trust God's word. To trust in God's word. For the book of Hebrews is essentially about two things. Number one. It's about revelation. Namely, what God has said to us. And it is about redemption, what God has done for us. What he's told us and what he's done for us. And I know this is a very familiar quote to you, but I will tell you this, trusting the word of God, you can take that to the bank. And you'll come back with interest. The second one is this. We need to rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. There's nothing you can do to add to it. Christ has finished it all. He has accomplished all that God demands. And gloriously, it's this. That it's, and we're told in chapter 5 and verse 9, that he is the author of eternal salvation. The author is the one who writes the book. The author is the one who writes out the understanding that you need to have in order to operate your vehicle or your lawnmower. I'm so glad it rained last night. <laughs> He's the one, the author is the one who has penned it so that you can understand how you set your CD player on your TV. But much greater than that is we have an author who has written, this is salvation. It's in me and me alone. Will you trust me? Will you rest in it? 
And whenever the forces of darkness would come to you and whisper, you're not going to make it. All you need to do is quote the promise that I have a high priest that is forever after the order of Melchizedek. And that is an oath that God has given. You might remember in chapter 6, God gave an oath to Abraham when he said, from the world is going to be blessed by your seed. And he swore by no other greater than he himself. God swore that in chapter 6. That's an oath. In chapter 7, God gave an oath to our great high priest that he will live forever on the order from Melchizedek, an oath of God. And, and as one author wrote concerning this oath, it's, it's, he says it's God showing forth his whole character, laying it out. Because everything about him rests on that oath. And if the oath is broken, then there is no God. And we are all men most miserable. But, he said, the oath is assured by the very character of God who can never lie. Why do we need another high priest? It's because Jesus did and is doing what they could not. And we are experiencing that joy even during this time. We need to pray. Father, thank you for the oath of our great high priest who will never let us down, who is holy, who is righteous, who is separated from sinners, who is pure, in all of his being. Who doesn't need to go and offer sacrifice continually year after year, month after month, even day after day. No. For he sits at the side of you, our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. His work is complete. And we can trust fully in the word that you've written for us and for the finished work of our high priest because he is the guarantee of that finished work. So Lord, I pray that our hearts would even become more encouraged to know that Jesus Christ is still worth following. No matter what may come, he is still our faithful, our great high priest. And it's in his name we give with thanksgiving. Amen.